Hello, everyone, and welcome to Data Femme, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm your host, Danielle, founder of Decayo Data, and I'm super excited for this episode, which happens to be the season finale of Data Femme Season 2 which is very exciting. I know that this season has had a lot of amazing guests and spanned over the course of a year, pretty much, maybe a little more. And this episode features Seppi Sadeh. She is the program director of open source data and AI technologies at IBM. And IBM has kindly sponsored this episode as well as two, which you will hear in the upcoming season three. So this is a really fun series for us to engage you with this partnership and the content we create and also inform you about resources that IBM has to offer for budding data scientists and members of the community alike. Seppi and I will be discussing these resources as well as going through her development of her career, which I know y'all love hearing about from our guests, and also about algorithmic fairness and ethical AI, which is something that both Seppi and I are passionate about. I think you'll really, really, really enjoy this episode. And I can't wait to hear your feedback. Please like and share on social as usual. And stay tuned for more announcements at the end of this episode. Okay, well, I am so excited to have you here, Seppi. Thank you so much for having me here. It's really, I'm, I'm really honored um, to be here and to have this conversation with you. So just to introduce myself, my name is uh, Seppi and uh, I'm a senior data scientist, machine learning engineer at IBM. I finished my uh, PhD at University of Waterloo in Center for Pattern Analysis and Machine Intelligence a couple of years ago. And then I was working as a big data and analytics consultant uh, at, in Toronto, in Canada. And then I joined IBM Canada um, as open source and big data solution engineer. Um, so when I moved to uh, US three years ago, I joined data science elite team of IBM. Uh, in, in that team, actually, we meet with customers, we run some workshop, define data science use cases, and we help implement it and kind of like doing a POC for them. So um, in there, I actually got a chance to work with customers in different industries and see um, see how uh, what type of data they have and actually I had a chance to help um, different industries learn about data science AI optimization machine learning and 
how they can actually use these techniques to get insights from the data and information they have to do some prediction and optimization. And um, a couple of months ago, uh, actually, I, um, I switched to another team in, uh, in IBM, which is still I'm in collaboration with my previous team for sure. In this new team, which is called Center for Open Source Data and AI Technologies, here I'm a technical manager and director of the group. Um, and uh, basically in this team, the goal is to um, contribute to open source projects. And there is a variety of open source projects that we are contributing to, uh, like uh, Kubeflow, Elira, uh, TensorFlow, um, PyTorch, and many more. Jupiter, actually Jupiter Lab, and um, the great thing is that in this team, I'm learning a lot uh, how to actually build something useful and to uh, help community and uh, leverage it um, some somehow that is useful for end user and community to use it. That's really cool that you've kind of tapped into the Python community in this way. I've worked with TensorFlow. I do really want to learn more about PyTorch and SciPy and all of these, you know, Python capabilities that are so robust. So it's cool to see you be both like a expert practitioner and also teaching what you know. Are some people more difficult to teach than others? Like, how do you deal with that discrepancy? I think everyone has the potential to learn like these concepts. Uh, of course, if someone has a strong mathematic and statistical background, they can learn the new AI um, algorithms and technology much easier. Uh, but I would say um, if someone just want to learn it from high level perspective uh, about what each model does and um, learn a new programming language, um, for example, Python and R, which are commonly used by data scientists these days. To be honest, many of my colleagues and friends that were in other domains, they, they kind of reached out to me. They asked for some good resources, material to um, teach themselves and be a data analyst. Um, and I always tell them just uh, they should leverage their uh, use, uh, their kind of uh, domain knowledge expertise. For example, one of my friends who had uh, some domain knowledge expertise in chemistry, I advise her if she learns these algorithms and apply to the data that she's working with every day, then that is something valuable that she can actually bring to their community. But for in terms of some someone like a data scientist who develop an algorithms and come up with some new ideas, I would say they should have some background in math and stat and programming languages and data science. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you feel like there's kind of a place for everyone in terms of uh, finding a way to use data? you know, kind of helping them find their area of data science? Everyone can use uh, data and get insight from the data set that they are working on in their specific domain. And they may not need uh, a very deep dive knowledge of, uh, let's say, uh, special algorithms and know the math behind it. So for those uh, group of people, I would suggest to take some 
online courses like uh, if they google on youtube stanford machine learning or there are a lot of good courses on coursera for example um my team uh, ibm has also created and uh, published a lot of good courses in the field uh, on coursera um so there are a lot of good material to kind of use and get advantage of like deep learning ai workera that um i think it's dot com i don't know but it's kind of similar to coursera but it takes some quizzes and create some um agenda of learning for you based on your knowledge and expertise so there are a lot of good resources out there if you want to know the algorithms from high level perspective and only from application perspective so if you have set of data you can understand which algorithm to apply to with the help of the community actually there is a lot of open open source packages and library that you can just call and use them like call a particular machine learning algorithm input the data set and get the output for the second group uh, that uh, they are actually the contributors to create these packages to, uh, to make it available to the community. That's where my current team is. So they need to have a very robust knowledge of the math behind it to be able to understand the algorithm and to be able to expand or improve it. Even myself and other colleagues in my team uh, we always are learning because this field, as you know, is growing in a very fast speed and it's good to know the background and uh, like familiarity with uh, ongoing projects. But because there is new technologies, new algorithms coming out every day, I think one important thing for the person in this field is to always keep themselves up to date and learn about the new things that is coming up. Uh, I can share some of the resources, some of the training material that we try to put together. And hopefully, uh, if you can um, also share it with the audience, that would be great. I will be very happy to share. I love when I can give my DataFem listeners some follow-up material to keep their creative juices flowing after the episode. I also want to hear about Project CodeNet. I saw that on your website, and it seems like an exciting venture. Do you want to tell me more about it? Project CodeNet is actually a large-scale data set with approximately 14 million code samples around 500 lines of code in 55 different programming languages. Each, uh, each of these code samples are intended to um, actually, um, they are a solution to one of the 4,000 coding problems. And uh, CodeNet also provides sample input and output test sets for over 7 million code samples. And IBM Research has done some of the work on this uh, data set uh, so far, and it's available and public in our GitHub. And uh, my team uh, uh, and myself are also working on a couple of projects uh, with the CodeNet, um, and it will be available in our GitHub soon. And hopefully I will have another blog uh, related to that. For sure, I will share with you uh, the current assets, blogs, and GitHub link that we have put together so far. 
because AI for code is very fast growing discipline which aims to help software developers improve their productivity by automating the software engineering process. So some of the potential projects that can be done using this data set is to uh, automate some of this effort. Um, for example, to uh, autocomplete some code, translate the, uh, the code from one language to the other, predict the code complexity, uh, doing language classification. So there can be so many use cases identified and be done using this data set. And we are currently working with different universities and developer groups and we are hosting some hackathons uh, to be done on this data set. Just to confirm, this data set is open, available for all the developers to access it and define their own use case and use it. Thank you for going through all of that because it's gonna be really cool when you send me those links. I'm gonna um, put them in the show notes and put them in the kind of accompanying blog, um, you know, that goes with this episode so people can like, you know, take the extra time to go and look at everything. Um, and that, that'll be really cool. And, you know, especially to get people engaging with um, the IBM GitHub and see your blog and kind of see how everything comes together. How do you feel like you benefit from writing about your coding adventures and, you know, the projects that you create, like how does that inform you both professionally and then in your own learning development? Actually, I love to write blogs and share um, the projects that I've been working on or any new topic uh, that I learned about. For example, uh, this CodeNet data when it was uh, released and it was available for the community to use, I just decided to immediately write a blog, share what has been done, explain the data set to the community so they can easily learn about it and start working with the data set. I published another uh, blog that became very popular about trusted AI, how we can actually monitor, maintain and manage the machine learning models and uh, how their decision can be critical in our life and how we can detect and prevent that um, bias actually in machine learning models. So I think uh, it's very important uh, for um, data science thought leaders to uh, share their experience, what they learn in the field with the uh, community so that they can also learn about what's going on. And um, I think, sharing ideas and um, getting receiving feedback in the community is really important to me. That's why I've been trying to communicate my findings, not only with the broader team, but I try to use these blogs and uh, maybe sometimes paper, publishing papers and try to communicate it to the broader community that I don't have immediate contact with. For me, when I first started, <laughs> uh journalism school we were required which is a funny thing to think about required to create a twitter and it kind of took me a while to like really get what was going on but my first business was not data science it was a fashion company and it was mental health focus so there was you know that social mission there and i just got so into twitter and grew 
like pretty much all of my business based on that. And then I did the same thing with Dakayo Data. Does social media play any role in your content and the distribution of it? And if so, how? Actually, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So whatever material I put together, I always share on my LinkedIn. And uh, also we have a, a website at IBM which is uh, ibmdeveloper.com and um, many of the assets they actually publish it there and also the medium blog i think these three are my main resources to communicate with others in the community yeah that's good i have you on linkedin i think and so i'm gonna be following you i need to be so much better as like literally like one of the main content creators around data science i do not post enough on linkedin and and i know that i don't so i really admire people like you and like other content creators in the space whose full-time job is not doing that who are somehow more consistent than me it's a very humbling experience just to you know see how amazing everyone in our field is i want to move on to something that I know that you and I are both passionate about and that IBM as a whole has been doing a lot of work in and that's the AI and algorithmic fairness real movement there. What are your thoughts on this? What's your work look like? I do know a bit, um, but I'd love for you to tell the audience. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually, I can also share um, my blog uh, regarding this topic is actually for a while back but i think concepts are the same it's just the technology improves to tackle these concerns and uh, this is very important topic and i remember two years ago i gave a presentation and published this blog because it was getting more and more attention in the community and ibm i see ibm as one of the leaders that started to tackle this issue um, so as you know, uh, it's very important to put together a good uh, machine learning or data science model in general with a good data set and deploy it, operationalize it, put it in action, either in batch mode or online mode. But it's not the end. <laughs> Actually, the most important part is to now maintain, manage and monitor this model to make sure it's providing these right decisions for us with trust and transparency uh, without having bias and also uh, account for model drift. Uh, so it's important because as the new, we ingest new data and as the new data arrives, the distribution of data may be different because maybe we have trained our model with a population of customers a couple of years ago and now the population totally changed. So if you are using a batch model, then it may have to be retrained totally or maybe as we do real-time scoring, we should take this into account. So I think it's very important to detect uh, model drift or uh, the and the change in the data, input data and distribution, and also uh, the bias that um, the model may introduce. For example, uh, in my blog, I have provided a couple of detailed examples, but um, just to give a high level idea, some of the models previously in industry that were uh, trained based on a very biased data set unfortunately provided a very biased decisions and unfortunately it may have some impact in our society and 
uh, especially on some particular people like um, let's say if we don't have uh, enough um, training data on a female uh, for example for one particular um, model that we are building then our model may get very biased uh, in their decisions so it's very important to detect that and account for it not only detect but also unbiased and um, mitigate it back and correct the model so these are all very important concepts that IBM is working on there is a package that IBM has put together it's called open scale but we also as open source uh, technology uh, company that we are contributing to open source we also put a version of this package open for everyone to use in the community and it is called AI Furnace 360 uh, which they can leverage and use uh, no matter where they have built and deployed their machine learning model they can actually use this tool uh, for monitoring managing debiasing their algorithms sometimes when i'm at conferences virtually or in person a lot of people i mean usually it's white males um sorry not sorry to say are <laughs> like why do we have to hear more about fairness why can't we just hear about the innovation and i'm like this is part of the innovation you know like we are using the most cutting edge technology to make these models fair and that technology could be the next innovation in your area you know it could inform that so i mean i don't know if you've come into any kind of backlash with that where really serious algorithms are being treated as like you know fluffy stuff compared to i guess models that make more money i don't know um <laughs> but i'm curious kind of how if you've come into any kind of difficulties there and your thoughts on how we can make discussions of algorithmic bias and fairness engaging to people who tend to roll their eyes and think it's just a social mission that doesn't apply to them yeah it's important to give them some examples on how the decision of a machine learning or ai system can influence their life and to what extent actually maybe i ask them this question to what extent they trust the decision that, that an intelligent system provides for them. Let's say we had uh, one self-driving car made a false decision, maybe some failure in their sensor input or algorithm failure, and then it crashed and killed someone. So to what extent we can trust these decisions and who is responsible if something failure like this happens? Is it like we cannot blame the machine for sure? <laughs> Is it the data scientists who code it? Or, or also some, there are some rules and regulations in companies that we want our AI model to take into account when making decisions. So to be able to integrate and make our AI model consider these uh, rules and regulations in place while making decision, for sure we need a system to be able to do that. Also, uh, for example, for uh, some credit card company, um, 
there were like two same equal person like I think it was wife and husband that they both applied with the same credit score everything was the same and the wife got rejected and the model has a severe uh, gender bias as well as for I think it was one of the big companies um, recruiting automated recruiting system that again it had gender bias or there was some um, software called compass a couple of years ago that was used for justice system to identify the risk factor of the people uh, whether they should be uh, in prison before the judgment day and it was very biased toward a certain skin color so i would say if they consider the how important the decision that this intelligence system brings for them and if they themselves have a tolerance to be in the group of the people who are impacted by the decisions are they fine with it or or not so <laughs> i think by making some examples and bringing to their attention that um, it's very good to make a very good and strong machine learning algorithm, but it not necessarily uh, maybe all the time provide us with the decision that we were hoping for. So that's our responsibility to maintain, manage and monitor those decisions and make sure that it is something that does not have any unintended bias or unintended actions in our society. Definitely. And I know that IBM is really a forerunner and all of the talks that I've heard are very genuine. What do you think sets IBM apart? Like, is it the people who work there? Is it that IBM is known for really prioritizing fairness, both in hiring and diversity and algorithmic fairness? To be honest, I think IBM was one of the leaders in this particular space and um, that's why it made a lot of uh, research investment to make sure that uh, these concepts are all considered. We have invested a lot of resources, we kind of made sure that we are first in the space and we continue building on it. Uh, and I think other companies, to some extent, make some effort, uh, but um, I think it may be just a matter of priorities, maybe um, other part of the business, I don't know, is more important for um, another company. But uh, for sure, uh, I think the, the big companies or the people in the field and community most of them who knows um, the concepts and they know the impact that uh, these decisions uh, will bring uh, to the society, they will all agree that this is very important concepts. Because uh, there is an open source community for this. Uh, as I said, we have open source AI Fairness 360. It's a very good uh, repository and place for the people from different companies to, to contribute to and um, to work together on this mission. So maybe also that's another reason that they didn't see any reason to start from scratch and build exact same thing. They can just contribute to the project that uh, is uh, going on for the last two years uh, from IBM and they can just build on it and uh, make it uh, stronger for the whole community to take advantage of it. Yeah, that aspect of community is really important. Once everybody kind of realizes what other people are doing in terms of work in that neck of the woods, um, 
it really leads to the right conversations. A lot of people ask me, why didn't you go work at a big data science firm with your data science skills instead of, you know, creating a podcast about diversity? And I was like, well, um, <laughs> it's because I, I guess if I were to go that route, I would be working for one entity. And I like to, I guess, be able to see what everybody is doing and consolidate it so that everybody in the data science industry kind of has a greater understanding of um, what needs to be done, what holes need to be filled in, and like how anyone's individual background can help. Actually, I really appreciate the work that you do. And I think that people uh, like yourself that help community to come together and share uh, their ideas together and let them share these uh, topics together. I think it's very valuable. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's definitely grown into something where there's so much going on. There's innovation going on. There's documentation going on because you have to be really focused on your one area. And so I, I see it as providing a service to my peers in the industry. And, and because of that, I do have to stay on board with the net, with the newest technology. Like I do have to be able to know how to talk to people like, like you who are like making new algorithms and machine learning models every day. Like I, I do need to be able to keep up. Um, but my role is really to act as a community agent and, you know, inform everybody. And I don't think there's anybody else really doing that. Like as a person, there may be, you know, several publications, but you don't really know who's behind that. I want to ask you about your career story. You're definitely somebody that all of us data scientists who aren't as far as you aspire to be. To be honest, uh, when I was doing my studies at uh, university, there were not so many uh, female students in the field of engineering, um, computer engineering. And then even when I was like teaching the undergrads at Waterloo, <laughs> I would say one or two percent female. As I see today, um, it, it's getting much better. There are more female voices in the field, and uh, I'm I'm very happy to see that. And I think no matter what's your gender background, uh, I think you should just believe in yourself and um, follow uh, what you you really uh, passionate about. It's great to have some communities like the one Gabriella initiated. Uh, women uh, in, uh, in R and uh, other communities that we have. Those are also some of the very good communities to be part of. All the recent uh, increase of the female in, in this industry, we are successful on overcoming this gap in the field. It's not still there, but I think uh, it, it's much better than a couple of years ago when I was doing my studies. Uh, back then, and there was a very a low number of females in the field. Who do you feel were your primary mentors? I picked my uh, mentor from some of my colleagues that I really um, trust in their work and I see them as a good mentor for me. And then I, I just kind of had like 
a casual uh, meeting with them to get their feedback, their idea, and get their advice on my career path. Um, so I think uh, I, I agree with you. Finding a mentor is very important, but you don't have to make it like a, a difficult task for yourself. It's just that uh, it can be very informal, as I said, as uh, as you find someone that you think you you want to f- follow their career path, you want you believe in them and you kind of like how they manage stuff, you can just reach out to them and ask for some informal one-on-ones and get their thoughts, opinions on different aspects of your career, of the whole uh, whole industry, and I think it will be really helpful. Uh, so, um, to be honest, um, some of the good mentors that I had uh, were like my colleagues, uh, like my ma- my previous managers and my current manager, of course, is uh, someone that guides me as well. But uh, I just reach out to some people in my organization and ask for like kind of uh, informal um, discussions. And I always, these conversations were always very helpful for me. So I would suggest to uh, just um, get a chance whenever you have to have a conversation over a coffee or um, like an informal um, conversation on on, um, online Zoom and get get different perspective from different people because even if their idea is not aligned with your thoughts that's actually valuable because it will uh, it will help you grow your uh, mindset and think more out of the box when you hear about other ideas and other opinions and uh, among these mentors one of them was actually a, a female manager that i had and she was really inspiring me uh, all the time and I, I really wanted to follow her steps and uh, be like her to be someone that can be a trusted advisor for our customers. I really like what you're saying about believing in yourself because that takes a lot of self-awareness, you know, like a lot of people chase stars in terms of where they want to be in the industry, you know, and sometimes that's not really where you belong and that takes a lot of self-awareness like for me like i had to really think about like where is my place in the industry i love data with the fashion i love statistics but like where do i want to be do i want to be a researcher do i want to be a marketing professional using tableau do i want to be a back-end um analyst running regressions like i i don't know and then i ended up in this media space which really does work for me um, because it, it does really bring in all my unique um, background, I guess. Uh, but that's what I always ask people when I'm doing career consulting for data science specifically. I always ask, like, where do you want to be? Like, what what aspects of data science do you like most? Because now that there are these programs at universities and, you know, the online classes you mentioned, like, you can get exposed to several different areas in the field and different languages and find out what works for you and then from there it's like okay how can you excel how can you meet all of your goals with that specific career path in mind um and it might not be the one you originally thought you were going to do you can surprise yourself and i think having the knowledge and background in general will help you to do manure and learn new things 
And for the people, as I said, they may not have necessarily have background in this space. It's difficult for them to know which path they should go. It's better to maybe stick with their domain knowledge expertise and um, explore how they can actually use these algorithms and apply to what their expertise is at. Agreed. Well, we talked a little bit about Coursera and IBM's offerings there. As an insider, what certifications and languages do you think are most relevant right now for somebody who's looking to pick up that skill set? I always feel like there could be a blog post about that every single day because it changes and that can be overwhelming for people because it's like, what? I just learned Julia and now I don't hear about it again. <laughs> I agree. Things keep changing, but I think there are some uh, topics that are the I would call them maybe backbone and the basis of the things. So it, it worth investing in them. For example, uh, learning um, uh, Python programming language or R programming language, they should handle large scale big data. And I think for that sense, learning Spark and the variant of Python programming language, which is called PySpark to be able to uh, implement the algorithms using Spark uh, processing engine and run those uh, code in a parallel, parallelized fashion is also very valuable knowledge that they can learn. There are very good courses on Coursera. The main ones that I, I really like are the ones offered by IBM, which I share the link with you. Some of them have some certification and the ones uh, offered by Stanford University. There is a professor called Andrew NG and other professors that uh, have designed some good courses. Uh, I think it's free if you don't want to have the certification at the end, but uh, if you also want, you can uh, get the certification. I think that's uh, that can be a good start. And uh, these are the backbone that uh, I think everyone that wants to be in the field should know. I agree with you. There may be some algorithms or some new technologies coming from time to time. But if you know the, the necessary stuff like the ones that I mentioned, uh, learning and grasping the new ones should not be that difficult anymore. Yeah, that's encouraging. And I'm sure that a place like IBM definitely encourages people who work there to invest in their learning through various perks and things like that. I really, really, really appreciate you being on DataFem today to talk to me about all of the amazing things that you're doing and seeing in the industry. For my listeners, everything that we've promised you, those links to resources are going to be in the show notes on Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening on another platform, you're going to be able to find it just in my blog post on the site. Um, I know a lot of y'all listen on Spotify, and I don't know how much show notes material there is there. I think there is, so definitely find it there too. And this is the first of three episodes that are going to be sponsored by IBM before the end of this year, 2021. So it's really exciting to be working with IBM's data science faction and really try to build more community around their resources for data science learning. Because if there's anything that we have as DataFem listeners and contributors, it's community. And I can't wait to see you 
for the next episode. This is the season two finale, guys. So the next episode is going to kick off season three of Data Femme, and I am so excited. If you want to celebrate with me, you can always give a quick little donation on Patreon at patreon.com slash and that's always appreciated, especially going into a new season. You will see me on social media doing some fun recaps of episodes from season two, so be sure to give those some love and Share your favorites, even if you don't see me posting yet. And stay tuned for more info about the upcoming Sure to be Fabulous Season 3.